If we haven't met before, I'm Ashley, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is Wine Glass Marathon Weekend. Congrats to those of you who were in the 5K yesterday. We're proud of you. I want to say thanks for joining us today. We are rooting our rhythms and our relationships in the ways of Jesus. And we're going to start off today by looking at two hypothetical scenarios in the day of the life of someone. And we're going to call him Leo, because up until 9 a.m. I didn't know any Leos. <laughs> if you're a VIP and your name is Leo and this sounds like your life, I guess God's looking to get your attention today. <laughs> And actually, the Leo I met was only one year old, so he's got a ways to go before this story is about him. So Leo wakes up at 6 a.m. in the morning to shower, dress, spend time with God and prayer, and he gets his kids up for school. He missed dinner last night with his family because his work meeting went late. That's ever happened to anybody before? And by the time he got home, actually, his whole family was in bed. But he was kind of relieved because he knew it's a lot for his wife to, you know, get the kids doing their homework and feed them and get them off to bed and everything. And it was probably stressful for her. He felt kind of guilty, so he put all his energy that morning into getting the kids around for school, you know, trying to make up for last night. We do that sometimes, too. And the atmosphere at the breakfast table is tense, like you can cut it with a knife. And he doesn't make eye contact with his wife, Susie, because he knows she's not happy. Susie takes the kids to school, and Leo leaves for work. And on his way to work, he jots down just some meeting notes for the day on his phone, texting and driving. And he's a little late, so he goes over the speed limit, and he's kind of aggressive, you know, looking out for police. And he gets to work two minutes before he needs to be there. Whew! And he's like, I have time to check my social media and see what's happening in the world. So he checks that. Now we want to look at a different reality that's available to Leo. So again, he wakes up at 6 a.m. to shower, pray, get dressed, and wake up his kids. And part of his prayer time actually involves just stillness before God. And as he's still before God, he realizes, I feel some anxiety. I think it's because I was home late last night and also because I have a full plate of just meetings all day in front of me. And so he invites God into his day. He invites God to fill him as he gets ready to go, you know, and do his job and meet with people and be who God made him to be. He invites God, he asks him for wisdom as he deals with his meetings and as he serves people. And he also realizes that something's bothering him about his late night meeting last night. And he writes some notes in his journal that was kind of draining. It was depressing. Did we really need to go that extra hour? And so he pulls out his meeting agenda, and he decides to ask his team, hey, could we have saved that extra hour? Let's get feedback on that meeting. So he closes up his journal. He's really excited because he's thinking about their family Sabbath coming up in a couple days. He goes downstairs to breakfast, and he feels some tension. And he's aware that he doesn't like conflict, but he chooses to make eye contact with his wife anyway and say, Susie, is everything okay? And she's like, no, I'm glad you asked. I wish you would have called last night instead of just not coming home until after we were in bed. And he's so sweet, he apologizes. He says, will you forgive me for not calling you? Next time, I'll make sure to give you a heads up. And she nods and smiles, and then she tells him that she actually had a really tough phone call the night before 
that he had no idea about. So he listens to that. He validates her feelings. And before you know it, it's time for them to go to work. So he's like, can we just put a pin in this? It's really important. And I want to hear, hear your heart. And I would love to do that with you tonight after dinner. And she says, yes. They hug. She takes the kids to school. He goes to work and he has so much time to spare. He's relaxed at peace when he's driving. He decides not to check social media before he heads into his meeting because he wants to be fully present to his team and not distracted thinking about other things. So Leo 1 is a little bit more stressed and less self-aware. Leo 2 spends time with God figuring out who he is what he needs and, you know, what his body's telling him. He knows his limits. He's placing his whole life before God, and he trusts him with it. Romans 12, 1 to 2 says, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, like we just talked about, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Embracing what he's done through Jesus, is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. God changes you from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. God helps us to become mature when we embrace what he's done through Jesus, as we trust our lives to him. Because it's possible to be physically mature, but emotionally immature. It's possible to be a grown adult and still be an emotional infant or child or adolescent. Because we don't talk about our emotions. Sometimes we're self-focused, we're hurt or offended, we withdraw, we're defensive, and we have trouble empathizing with other people, but there's a better way. As we trust in Jesus and offer our lives to him, we're less self-focused and we're better at loving others because we've received love, which means we have love to give. Come on. God changes us from the inside out, and he creates a safe space for us to be aware of and respond to our feelings so we can have compassion and realistic expectations for other people, and so we can understand our limits, so we can enjoy our lives, not endure them, so that we can live from a place of rest and fulfillment rather than stress and pressure and feeling like there's not enough of us to go around and there's not enough days in the week. So we are three-part beings. God created us as a spirit who lives in a body and has a soul. And we talked about our bodies during week six of Roots. It was called uh, Singleness, Soulmates, and Sex. If you didn't get to listen, you can check that out on our website or on YouTube. But we talked about how our bodies are a gift. They're valuable. And for the most part, we agree with that. And we do things to take care of our bodies and our health. Uh, if you were part of a race yesterday, you probably trained for it. You were intentional with your body. And next week, we're going to talk about our spiritual health, how being with God impacts what we do for God, our living for God. And it's going to be the key to the rest of all these messages we've heard this entire series as we close out Roots next week. But today's message is called Soul Health. Tell your neighbor, Soul Health. And we don't often talk about our soul health. We don't really talk about, you know, our spiritual health as much as we talk about our physical health. But our soul health is so important. It's part of who we are. 
Chances are you don't think about it that much, but our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's what we think, who we are, and what we feel. You think about it, we are made in the image of God, and that means so are our feelings. The Bible talks a lot about the things that God feels. You know, he laughs at his enemy. He loves us. He's grieved at some points. He feels, and he created us to feel too. And as we have our roots in him, we're connected to him, we feel things like love and joy and peace. We call them the fruits of the Spirit. And we love those things, but we have other feelings too that tell us what parts of our lives need attention. Feelings like anger, sadness, or fear. And these are the feelings that we tend to avoid or ignore or sometimes react out of. And subconsciously we think, if we don't acknowledge these feelings, maybe nobody else will notice. You know, if we just cover them up and hide, we can preserve our image. But that's like playing peekaboo with a baby. You know how you like peekaboo? And the baby's like, oh, where did you go? You're gone. That's what we do with our feelings. We're like hiding them. We think, nobody can see me. They can see us. We don't want to hide our feelings. Everyone on the planet has gaps and blind spots. They exist whether we acknowledge them or not. But the good news is that those things can be healed and restored and made whole through Jesus. Come on. In our humanity, we give our spouse the cold shoulder and we say nothing is wrong when really they said something yesterday or a week ago or two months ago that bothered us and made us feel unloved that we never communicated with them. We let our coworkers complain about our boss and man, it bothers us, but we're afraid of confrontation. Our friends act irresponsibly and we feel bad for them, so we just enable them. We don't actually say the truth that we see that could help their lives. We have unconscious and unrealistic and unspoken expectations of people. We think if she cared about me, she would have called by now. Your parents might say this to you, if we're important to you, you would have come to our family dinner. Or we think everyone should have known I was in the hospital. We assume people are mad at us when they cut us off in traffic. Maybe we drive right up on their bumper. One day my husband and I were coming to church and we were up on someone's bumper, and their bumper sticker said, do you follow Jesus this close? And I said, maybe you should put on the brakes because I bet they're going to church. <laughs> and they were. <laughs> but maybe for you it's something different. Maybe you yell out the window, you're like, nice driving, or you say some other things. I have one friend who, you know, when she sees people driving poorly, she just parents them in her mind. She's like, oh, we want to use our turn signal next time. That would help you a lot. Different things come out of our humanity. Our relationship with Jesus creates a safe environment to look beneath the surface of our soul without condemnation or judgment. And it lets us follow our feelings right down to the root beliefs. Because sometimes we think things that aren't true. We think people are thinking about us, and they're not thinking about us. They're thinking about themselves. With Jesus, this is a safe opportunity to untangle our roots that are all dysfunctional and pull up roots that don't serve us and open up our lives to the grace and presence and truth of God. And he transforms us from the inside out. And he does it not because he's like, oh, there's something wrong with you. He does it because he loves us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit here means humble, 
Blessed are the humble, the people who know who they are, and they know they need Jesus. They know they're not perfect. They see themselves accurately. They don't have to put on a show. Those people, the humble, they represent the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Humble people have nothing to protect. You can't steal from them because their lives are already surrendered to God. Humble people have nothing to fear. They're not afraid of making mistakes because they know they're not perfect, but they're accepted for who they are, not what they do. It's so freeing. Humble people have nothing to prove. They're not worried about their image. They don't need to have the last word. They don't have to always be right or get praise from people. They have their identity in God. Their lives are rooted in his love, and we're going to talk about being rooted in God's love this Thursday at Impact Night at 7 p.m. It's basically like part two of this message. Come on, make some noise if you're going to be there. And if you weren't planning on coming, it's not too late. This is seriously one of the best events of my month. My husband and I look forward to it. Uh, we're going to put a QR code. Oh, thanks, guys. It's up on the screens for you. Uh, you can just scan that and say, I'll be there. And this is for all volunteers of hope ages 12 and up. And if you're not a volunteer yet, you can use this form to also sign up to be a part of making an impact and discovering who God made you to be through our impact teams. All right, so that's Thursday. But like we're saying, humble people are like Jesus. Wherever we have something to protect or fear or prove, we have an opportunity to look at that broken place and invite Jesus in. King David was someone who understood brokenness. He wrote Psalm 51, 17. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. To put it another way, another version says, going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. God's not looking for perfection, and he's not looking for hollow religion. Next part says, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart shattered, lives ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. God is looking for people ready to receive his love. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for open hearts willing to trust him with their brokenness. There's a story I was reading this week about a water carrier in India, and his job was to take water from the river to his employer's house. And he would carry the water across his back. He had a pole and two big pots on each side of it. And the one pot was perfect, and the other pot was cracked. And so every day he would go down to the river, fill up the pots, walk up to his employer's house, and the full pot would bring all the water, the cracked pot, by the time he got there, would be half empty. And after doing this for two years, the cracked, broken pot was like, I am so sorry that I can't do the one thing that I was created to do. I am so sorry that I am broken. And I love this story. The water carrier says, all right, on our next trip up the hill, I want you to look on your side of the road. And so he looks as they are walking up the hill, and he notices that there are beautiful flowers all along his side of the path. And there are no flowers on the other side. And the water carrier says, I knew about your flaw all along. And I planted flowers, I planted seeds along your side. And every day when we would make the journey up the hill, you weren't spilling water. You were watering the flowers. Come on. He says, if you were not the way you are, these flowers would not exist. 
We remember from last week that God makes beauty out of ashes. He takes graves and makes them into gardens. He takes loss, and it's an opportunity for new life in him. It took this pot two years to admit its broken places, but we don't have to be afraid to open up our broken spots to God. We can do it today. He's already aware of our flaws, and he uses them in ways we can't even imagine when we just surrender them to him. Weakness is where his power works best. If you think about the Bible, Moses stuttered. He was insecure. He was like, God, please don't use me. And God used him to set all of his nation free from slavery in Egypt. If you think about Jacob, his name meant deceiver, liar. And God used him in the lineage of Jesus to reveal his grace. If you think about Peter, he was afraid. He lied about knowing Jesus. People were like, you know Jesus, right? He's like, I don't know the man because he was afraid. And then God used him to share the good news about Jesus with thousands of people in the early church. They all had broken places, but God used them anyway. One of my favorite quotes is from John Maxwell. He says, God uses people who fail because there aren't any other kind around. If you're looking for a different kind, I'm sorry, Jesus was the only one. Welcome to being human. 2 Corinthians 4 or 5 says, Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ the Master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. It started when God said, Light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood in the face of Christ all bright and beautiful. I love that. He fills up our lives with light. Verse 7, if you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned, unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. God uses our ordinary lives to display his extraordinary power. What a privilege. When you think about the purpose that you discovered in Jesus, the addiction that you were set free from, the love of God that you never experienced anywhere else, what God has done in your ordinary life, it shows his incomparable power to the world around you. You are God's choice of messenger from Jesus to your friends and your family and your coworkers simply by sharing what he's done in your life. Your ordinary life shows his extraordinary power. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's asking you to trust him where you're at because if people were to look at your perfection, they would miss the brightness. He wants to show off his glory. God knows everything about you. He knows the good and the not so good. He knows you better than you know yourself. Psalm 139 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. So funny because half the time we don't know what's going to come out of our mouths. He knows. Verse 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God knows us, but we want to be like David in this psalm and say, will you search me and lead me in the way everlasting? Will you reveal to me the places that I'm not yet like Jesus so I can surrender and submit to his ways? Because his ways are so much better than our ways. I want to root my life, my rhythms and relationships in the ways of Jesus. Today we're going to talk about self-reflection. It's a rhythm that helps us look at our souls without shame or judgment. It creates opportunities for healing from God, for our lives to be changed, and for people around us to experience his change too. 
Self-reflection is simply taking time to ask ourselves questions like, why do I feel so impatient right now while I'm stuck in traffic? Or what is this anxiety all about? Or why do I feel so defensive when somebody speaks to me that way? It's not to suppress or ignore our very real emotions, and it's not to spiritualize our feelings either, but it's to be in tune with our whole being, who God made us to be, to embrace our emotions and engage with our thoughts, to be humble before God and open with our soul. So we have five questions. We put them on your note sheet for you to help you with self-reflection. And you can use this with yourself, your kids, your spouse, your friends as well. I like to do this with my kids. The first question is, number one, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? Sometimes that's a profound question because we don't take time to stop and say, what am I feeling? Where do I hurt? Where do I feel stuck? What happened this week that I'm still thinking about that I thought I had left behind? David does this whole self-reflection thing beautifully in Psalm 42. We're going to look at it for all these questions. Verse 6 says, My soul is downcast within me. My mind, will, and emotions are downcast within me. My soul is not doing good, David's saying. You might be feeling tired right now or anxious. Maybe you're feeling angry or stressed or disappointed. Maybe you feel invisible or ashamed, overwhelmed. Maybe you feel joy. Maybe you feel peace. Identify what you're feeling. And once you're aware of the feeling, don't stuff it like, oh, I'm done. Whew, we did We did it. We're good. No, no, no. Look beneath it. Second question is, what caused me to feel this way? So why, what am I feeling and what caused me to feel this way? Psalm 42.10 says, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where's your God? David's downcast because his enemies are taunting him. We'd be downcast too. Maybe you feel disappointed because you had an uncommunicated expectation that wasn't meant. Maybe you feel ashamed because of something that was said to you. Maybe you feel anxious because you just got a lot on your plate. Maybe you feel defeated because you had a rough morning with your kiddos. Third thing you want to ask yourself is, what is the belief rooted beneath the feeling? What's the belief beneath the feeling? What's the root? We're talking about our roots. So emotions are part of our soul, and this has to do with your mind. As a person thinks, so their life goes. So what are we feeling, and what am I thinking about the feeling? Psalm 42.9 says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? This is why David was feeling downcast. People were taunting him. And he felt like God had forgotten him. He felt like God had abandoned him. He got down to the belief. Maybe your disappointment today comes from a lie that nobody cares about you. Maybe your shame comes from a belief that you're, you're defective because you're not perfect. Maybe your anxiety comes from a belief that you don't have everything that you need, that you're lacking in some way, or you feel defeated and like you're not a good parent because of the things your kids are doing. Fourth question. What is the truth according to God? So we've identified the feeling. We've figured out where it came from. we figured out the belief that's underneath, that's rooted underneath. But now we want to say, what is the actual truth according to God? For David, the truth was that God was with him, even though he felt forgotten. Psalm 42.6, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. 
By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. God is with me. The truth for you could be that God loves me unconditionally, that his love defines me, not my performance. The truth could be I have enough time to do everything that God has called me to do. The truth could be that God has entrusted you with your children because he believes in you. We don't have to walk around stressed or depressed or anxious or defeated or ashamed or sad because in Jesus we are free. John 8.32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Come on. For freedom, we've been set free. We don't want to go back to a yoke of slavery. We don't want to go back to anything controlling us other than being submitted to Jesus. Last question, number five. What step of faith can I take to put down a new root? So I've identified the truth. I've identified the root I need to pull out. And here's the step of faith I need to take to get a new truth rooted in there. And this engages us. It puts our faith in action. So it went from a feeling to a belief, now an action. For David, he's deciding to hope in God and to praise him despite his circumstances. Psalm 42, 11b. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So people are taunting him. He's feeling defeated, but he's saying, I will choose to hope in God. I will choose to praise him despite my circumstances. For you, maybe your action step is to talk to your spouse or your friend about the things that you're feeling. Maybe you've never talked about your feelings before. Maybe it's to give yourself permission to have fun instead of putting pressure on yourself that God isn't putting on you. Maybe it's to create a rule of life to help you manage your time or to spend time with God and receive his love so you have love to give away with your kids when they get home from school. It's up to us to put down new roots. Colossians 2.7 says, Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you'll overflow with thankfulness. When you put your roots in him, man, he helps you to overflow, to live a life of fullness that you enjoy. As we put down roots, our faith grows so I was feeling a little anxiety, a little nervousness last Saturday night, and I did these steps with myself. Um, I'm telling you, you can do them anytime. Any one of us can do this, and it's helpful. So the first question I asked myself is, what am I feeling? And the answer was anxious. Second question, what caused me to feel this way? Oh, I knew what caused me to feel that way. So that morning I had posted on social media just about how I was expecting God to move powerfully here last Sunday, how I was expecting him to change people's lives, and I knew it was going to be the most powerful sermon that I had ever preached. And I said that in faith, knowing what God was going to do. But Saturday night rolls around, and I'm starting to think about Sunday, and the enemy's like, what if you can't deliver? What if it's not that good? What if God doesn't come through? Third question, what's the belief rooted beneath the feeling? And I was thinking in that moment that it was on me to produce. Question four, what is the truth according to God? It's not about me. God is pleased with me whether I produce or not. God goes beyond me. He does what I cannot. Come on. Like we read earlier, I'm just the messenger. If you look at me, you'll only miss the brightness. Number five, what step of faith can I take to put down a new root? In that moment, because I was self-focused, I chose to worship God and focus on Him. I chose to spend time in His presence, 
because I was feeling anxiety and I wanted to receive his peace. His peace is my portion. Anxiety is not. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And I love this verse because it talks about our whole soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. It says, you will feel the emotion of peace when your mind is fixed on God and when your will chooses to trust him. That's such a good root to put down in our lives for all of us. We want to place our whole lives before God as an offering and say, God, show us the places that aren't rooted in your truth. Part of this is choosing to be honest with God choosing to be honest with ourselves and other people. Jeremiah 6.14 says, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. It's just still there, not getting any healing. We are flawed, and we don't like to admit it. It's intimidating to look at those roots. But because of Jesus, we are more accepted and loved than we ever dared to hope or we could ask or imagine. His love is so powerful. Come on. He takes our broken places and he uses them for our good and for his glory. In the 1900s, the deadliest hurricane on record hit in Galveston, Texas. I was thinking about this this week, just with, you know, Hurricane Ian and our, our thoughts and prayers go out to all the people affected by that. But if you look at a hurricane, I mean, they're crazy powerful. And in Galveston, Texas at this time, the forecast that week had said, just a little light rain coming your way. So, you know, people were out enjoying the weather. They had no idea about what was going to hit. And the Senior Weather Bureau had predicted no hurricane could ever destroy Galveston. So there were plans in the works to build a seawall, but, you know, since the experts said it's impossible, they said, all right, let's use the money for other fun things. So many people drowned when that hurricane hit that bodies washed back up on the shore for months. The city was devastated, all because one man couldn't admit that the city was vulnerable, couldn't be honest about the flaws. He's a lot like us. You know, we're trained to put our best foot forward. We're conditioned to make a good impression, to conceal the places we fall short. And all of our life is about making a good impact on other people. But God can't heal what you won't look at. We carry shame should have already mastered everything. Shame. But we're not made whole by knowing everything. We're made whole by knowing God. That means you can take the pressure off yourself to know everything and be everything and put your trust in God. And when we trust God, not ourselves or our achievements, and when we can look at our honest emotions and thoughts, we're safe in Him when we're trusting Him. We're free to be honest with ourselves and others. There's a story in 1 Samuel 17. I'll close with this. David was about to go out and defeat the giant Goliath. He was the only person in the whole army brave enough to do something like this. And King Saul was like, here, take my armor. This will help you. Verse 38, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Can you imagine? He was willing to tell the king, no thanks. He was willing to disappoint him. 
He had nothing to prove or protect or fear. He was walking in humility. For some of us, that's hard. We'd rather wear the tunic than upset the king. We'd rather have people over for dinner and be polite than be honest that we don't have time in our schedule. We'd rather lie and say yes when we need to say no or face our feelings and get to the root of why we feel the way we feel. But what if, like David, we were willing to humble ourselves, to be honest, to embrace our limits? Our limits are a gift. David wasn't the same size as the king, and he wasn't used to wearing the armor. If he had worn it out on the battlefield, he probably would have lost. And not just David, but their whole nation who was counting on him. His limits saved his life. And we have limits too. We're limited by our personalities, by our season of life, by our capacity. We have limits to our humanity. We gotta eat, we gotta sleep every day. It's a limit. Our schedules are limited. I don't have a lot of availability in my schedule, not because I'm too busy, but because I'm limited. I'm human. And I choose to take a Sabbath every week to spend time resting and worshiping God. I choose to leave the office every day at 5 p.m. so that I can invest in my family, the most important things that I've been entrusted with. No one else can grow in my relationship with God for me. I, I need time to do that. No one else can be a wife to my husband. No one else can raise my kids. No one else can lead the church. I want to live a life where I am fully present to do what God called me to do. Come on. And I know you do too. We want to live a life where we're integral and honest in our interactions with people. A life that we look back on at the end of our days and we enjoyed it. A life where we have something with God that we're excited about for eternity. It's what Jesus did. He found his identity in the love of God. And we'll, we'll see next week that he often got away to spend time with God. It was one of the keys to his success. People wanted him to spend time with them. They wanted him to heal them. They wanted him to preach. But he chose to embrace his humanity. He disappointed his parents when he was 12 and he stayed behind to preach in the synagogue. He disappointed his friends who didn't want him to go to the cross. He disappointed the religious people because he was a friend of sinners. But he chose to be who God made him to be. He chose to fulfill the mission that only he could complete. And I'm so glad he did. He chose to die on the cross and take on our punishment so we could take on his righteousness and have a relationship with God. And Jesus says to us today, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your soul. This is the rest that we were created for, a rest knowing that we're at peace with God, a rest enjoying our relationship with him. Without Jesus, there really is no soul, soul rest, but in Jesus, our soul finds rest.